Welcome to the Eternal Connection, a radio broadcast ministry of St. Mark Lutheran Church in Omaha, Nebraska. Whether it be through prescribed behaviors, rituals, or practices, every religion in the world teaches that if we desire to know God, it is our responsibility to find Him and know Him. Christianity, however, teaches something very different. Christianity teaches that God has come to us and has revealed His love for us by putting on flesh in Jesus Christ and by giving us His Word through which He continues to speak to us today. We're glad you've joined us as Pastor Jay continues leading us through the Bible right here, right now on The Eternal Connection. And once again, you are eternally connected. Thank you so much for joining us. Pastor Eric Jay here from St. Mark Lutheran Church in Omaha, Nebraska, who sponsors this wonderful program where each and every weekend we dig into the Word of God, the Word of life, uh, the Word that gives us eternal life as we trust in this Word, the Bible, God's Word, that reveals to us His heart in Jesus our Lord. Uh, joined in studio, as always, by Chip Thompson, Jason Eisenman, How's your guys' Labor Day weekend? Yeah, it was good. We actually went to the Illuminarium. What is that? Uh, it's a sort of a science museum downtown. Uh, it just opened this summer. Oh. Uh, it, the Peter Kiewit Institute, I believe, is the the money behind it. Oh, okay. Uh, and uh, the kids across the street wanted to go, so I said, I'll tag along, and uh, <laughs> it had a great time. Yeah. Oh, good. Yeah, it was cool. We went to the Gene Leahy Mall for the first time. Okay, yeah. Since that's been redone. Yeah, huh? the big old climbing play sets they have there and the rock climbing walls, and it's actually really well done. Yep. We, we enjoyed it. Cool. Jason? We did um, a lot of stuff that was way too hot. We spent a lot of time outside, and it was good, but the heat eventually got to me and had to hunker down inside for a little bit. Sure. Yeah. Well, we will uh, rest from our resting and get back into the Word of God, labor in the Lord, labor in our faith, or as Paul says, the good fight of faith as we continue our series we've entitled People of the Book, uh, looking at prominent saints in Scripture. Uh, And we're going to finish up with Moses. We really kind of dug into him uh, last weekend Mm -hmm. after introducing him the week before that. But we just haven't gotten to two of the most important things we got to touch on, uh, at least before we we move on from Moses, the crossing of the Red Sea, and of course, uh, the Ten Commandments. Yep. So Chip, why don't you pray for us and we'll dig in. Okay. Heavenly Father, we raise our hearts to you in exultation. You are our God and your Son is our King. Open our ears and prepare our hearts. Help us in our unbelief, O Lord. Grant us wisdom, not as the world tries to give us uh, their wisdom, but the truth given to us through your Son, Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. Alleluia and amen. 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 So last time we focused uh, a lot on the Passover, um, really the the tenth and final plague. Mm -hmm. Um, And and we talked about just how heartbreaking that is when you read that, the death of the firstborn. Uh, But you got to remember that this Pharaoh guy was was actively trying to kill babies himself, uh, to go after God's people. He was killing them. you know, infanticide. And, uh, you know, it's not like God let off with destruction. He gave Pharaoh the opportunity to say, hey, knock it off, let him go. Um, And Pharaoh, because he truly believed he was God, 
refused. And six whole plagues went by, God pleading with him, giving him other chances when Pharaoh would repent. And by the time we get to the seventh plague, God confirms Pharaoh in his sin, in his rebellion, hardens his heart, as the Lord put it. And finally, with the uh, death of the firstborn in Egypt, uh, Pharaoh relents, at least for the time being, uh, and lets the people go. Um, Passover was instituted at that point, you remember, by the Lord, uh, mm-hmm. the blood of the lamb on the door so that the angel of death that came would pass over those that were covered in the blood of the lamb. And that brings us to the end of chapter 12. Uh, and the final verse there is, is, I think, a good cap to put on it. It said, and on that very day, the Lord brought the people of Israel out of the land of Egypt by their hosts. So they're out, they're leaving. And the question is, now where do we go? <laughs> well, and as you finished up reading 51 there, it says, uh, by their hosts. Yep. What does the hosts mean? By all their numbers. All of them were accounted for. All generations, by their many numbers is a way you could say it. Okay. Um, and so the question is, where do you go? And if you scroll down or turn your page to uh, Exodus 13, verse 17, we get that answer. When Pharaoh let the people go, God did not lead them by the way of the land of the Philistines, although that was near. For God said, lest the people change their minds when they see war and return to Egypt. But God led the people around by the way of the wilderness toward the Red Sea. And the people of Israel went up out of the land of Egypt equipped for battle. I think it's pretty significant that Moses points out that there was a much more expedient way (laughs) for the Israelites to get out of Dodge. But God, knowing his people, knowing their sinful hearts, if I I lead them this direction, the things they're going to see, they're going to run back to Pharaoh. And that's unthinkable. I mean, with everything that they had been through, but then you have to kind of remember what Isaiah says about a dog returning to his vomit, how easy it is for us to return to the same sins no matter how many times it hurts, no matter how many times it proves to be detrimental to us or or shameful or whatever. Well, even in the New Testament, I believe St. Paul talks about that. Oh, yeah. When he talks about how... We, we look in the mirror and see our true selves and the, the sinfulness that w- what we deserve is uh, condemnation and how quickly we forget that we are those sinful people. Yeah, and I bring it up because this is going to be a recurring theme. I mean, we're, obviously we can't go all the way through Exodus here, but this is a, a constant recurring theme. When they get into the wilderness after they cross the Red Sea, they're going to cry out and say, hey, we had full meat pots in, in Egypt where bread was flowing and... No, it wasn't, <laughs> right? Uh, they're grumbling against God because they have to eat manna and quail and they haven't gotten to the promised land yet. So God's deliverance hasn't changed the heart of the people, right? That, and that's something that's going to carry through the New Testament, that sinner saint that Luther talks about, that we are saved because of God's work and God's declaration, but that, that we're not yet what we will be, as Scripture later says. Is there like a... Do I, do I read some sense of entitlement there? Uh, at this point, uh, no. They're, they're probably thrilled to get out of there. The Lord just knows his people's hearts. 
that if they go this route, see this violence, the Philistines, who are going to become mortal enemies of Israel anyway, uh, they're going to they're going to run back. So the Lord just pointing out that He's aware of all this and He's intentionally taking them the long way around, a difficult way around, not the way that you'd want to go. And this really culminates at the beginning of chapter fourteen, um, when Moses tells the people to turn back in verse 1 of chapter 14, and encamp in front of Pi-Hiroth, between Migdol and the sea, in front of Baal-Zephon, you shall encamp facing it by the sea. For Pharaoh will say of the people of Israel, they're wandering in the land, the wilderness has shut them in, and I will harden Pharaoh's heart, and he will pursue them, and I will get glory over Pharaoh and all his host, and the Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord." So, this is the Lord telling Moses to tell the people, here's what's going to happen. We're going to go the way that you don't want to go, <laughs> the way that you think is probably the wrong way, but it's going gonna, it's gonna to make Pharaoh think that you're lost and wandering around because the Lord knows that Pharaoh's not done yet. He, he knows that Pharaoh's coming. He's not really repentful, even after the death of a firstborn. So the Lord's going to draw him out, protect his people, but it's going to have to come at the at the trust, the faith of Israel in the word of God. As they stand before the Red Sea and they see Pharaoh's army charging down on them and they have nowhere else to go and they're only standing there because that's where the Lord told them to stand. And if you go down to verse 10 in chapter 14, It says, when Pharaoh drew near, the people of Israel lifted up their eyes, and behold, the Egyptians were marching after them, and they feared greatly. And the people of Israel cried out to the Lord. They said to Moses, is it because there are no graves in Egypt that you have taken us away to die in the wilderness? What have you done to us in bringing us out of Egypt? Is not this what we said to you in Egypt? Leave us alone that we may serve the Egyptians. So that would be proof that... They were they would run back had they went the other way. Oh yeah, because it, it comes up right there. Yeah, and I think this is a huge lesson as you read these patriarchal narratives. If God's the same yesterday, today, and always, this should really revolutionize how we view difficult circumstances in our own life. God sees every angle, and we may be looking up to heaven, thinking, "Lord, why, why am I here? Why are you doing this to me?" And He, and he only knows. Well, because if I did this, you'd have run away from me. If I did this, you'd have gone right back there, and that would have been a worse ending. You just don't know it. That's why you have to trust. This is all the Lord's doing because he knows and he loves his people, and he's going to do it for the sake of his promise. I think another thing to point out is if you look at the end of verse 10, it says, the people of Israel cried out to the Lord, and they said to Moses, Clearly, Moses has been established as God's prophet, meaning God speaks to Moses, and what Moses says to the people is God's word. Mm -hmm. And the people then communicate back to God through Moses. Because they can see and feel and talk to Moses. Yeah, that's a great way of putting it, Jay. I mean, from the very beginning, I mean, God's going to have a pillar of fire, we, we skipped over that section, but he's going to be present with them at night as a pillar of fire, a huge cloud by day, a pillar of smoke, you could say. So he had a visible presence, 
But God has always chosen to come to his created human people through created human people. And so you have this setup that God is now choosing men, not because they're worthy. I mean, we've talked enough about Moses and his murderous ways right. yep. <laughs> and, and him wanting to get out of going to Pharaoh and all the excuses. And Moses is going to pay a pretty steep price for being sinful. He's going to be prohibited from going into the promised land. The, the special part about Moses isn't Moses. It's that God chose this sinner for reasons that God only knows. But this is how the Lord has chosen to bring his grace and deliverance to people is through pastors uh, that are a, a, a different form of prophet and apostle throughout the ages, right? The shared office that we have. Well, an, e- an easy way of explaining that is you are proclaiming his forgiveness uh, to everyone. Yeah, uh, I mean, but but it is his forgiveness right. coming yeah. through right. a broken, sinful man. Yes. And get it, I, I get it just like everybody else. But that's what demands faith, Right is I don't understand this, but this is clearly how God has set it up from the beginning. And so why isn't so much of an important question to have answered? It's what, and this is what it is. This is how God has always come to his people. Could you imagine if God was standing there doing it? I mean, well, that's the, that's the, I'm glad you brought that up. I didn't know if we were going to get to it, but we will. When God comes down for the Ten Commandments, right, he, he descends his presence on the top of Mount Sinai, in a way that was very visceral, and the people's response was to yell at Moses and say, make it stop. Yep. Take, make him go away. Just like Adam and Eve hid in the garden. God has mercy on us by coming to, the way, us, to, to us the way that he does. Because mm-hmm. in our sinfulness, standing before his presence, not covered in the blood of Christ will scare us literally to death. But that's why God has mercy and comes to us as he does. So they're freaking out. <clears throat> Pharaoh's bearing down on them. One, and one might say they're stuck between a rock and a hard place here. But um, bum there you go. <laughs> a wet place. Right. A rock and a wet place. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> that was somewhat intentional, but... You know, I've watched uh, movie accounts of this too, and it's a whether you're reading it or watching it, it's a very dramatic scene, and it's equally as dramatic when you read it. I feel like because you know that's um, events like that still take place today. You know, we're put in places where the outcome isn't sure. Something's coming at you. It might be life, but to to watch the 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 army, if you will, or the troops, mm-hmm. you know, up on that hill as it's presented in the movies, and and come down, and yeah, it, it's um, and to see the the Red Sea part and 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 the way shown, it's it's quite the, you know, it's it's hard to put into words, but it's definitely uh, a miracle for sure. Yeah, and there's no getting around the the pure faith that God just demands. We, we, we want explanations in all of this, and God simply says, I don't owe you an explanation. Here's what I told you. You need to trust that. And you get those words to Moses himself in verse 15 of chapter 14 of Exodus. Moses goes back to the Lord, and the Lord says to Moses, why do you cry to me? Tell the people of Israel to go forward. Lift up your staff and stretch out your hand over the sea and divide it, that the people of Israel may go through the sea on dry ground. 
Essentially, he's saying, look, I, I told you this was going to happen. I told you Pharaoh's going to harden his heart. He's going to come at you, but I'm going to deliver you miraculously. Why are you here crying out to me? And, and it's, it's, there's no getting around the tough part of Moses even learning at this early point. When the Lord speaks, just like in creation, it's going to happen. And, and we can trust that. that. Even if the world calls it foolish, even if we think it's insane, if the Lord says it, it's going to happen. And that's exactly what we see. He puts his staff over the walls of the, uh, the, the waves of the Red Sea are turned into walls, and they cross through on dry ground. You could take that and turn it into every day with life. Uh, you know, you could have a bad day or backs up against the wall with, with, with faith, you know, you're not going to part the Red Sea and cross, but you're going you're gonna to get through the day. Yeah, and even if you don't, right, here even early on, and this is what the New Testament's going to connect it to later, we have God delivering his people to the promised land through water. As baptized Christians, we can have the absolute confidence that even if I don't make it through today, that's not the end. Because this is just a giant foreshadow of what's coming. Just like Noah, and Peter will call on that later, right? Just like God saved us through the ark and say and cleansed the world through water and saved Noah and his family, so too baptism saves you. And we see this coming again, that we have that assurance, that miracle that doesn't make sense to a lot of people any more than if we were standing at the shore of the Red Sea with the Pharaoh's army charging down. But the Lord said, if you believe and baptize, you're saved. The Lord said, this promise is for you and for your children. And so through those miraculous waters of baptism, which are no less miraculous, God says, you too are going to pass over. You too are going to cross through into the promised land, into eternal life. So yeah, maybe he'll deliver us from sickness and death. Uh, maybe he won't. Maybe sickness is how we die. One way or another, we're crossing through that Red Sea. And only by the word of God by his word spoken to us about his son and what he's done, do we have the absolute assurance that we're going to make it. And after being delivered, after being given that assurance, if you could imagine being one of those people that walked on the bottom of the Red Sea with giant walls of water and you literally walked through a miracle of the hand of God, it only takes us a few chapters to get to chapter 16. Uh, in verse 24, when the people are grumbling against Moses and saying, what shall we drink? What shall we eat? This, there's no good food in this place. Where's the McDonald's? <laughs> um, you know, and, and grumbling against the Lord because they're grumbling against Moses. That's, that's that entitlement. There's no, you don't feel like that's a little bit of entitlement? Well, sure. The entitlement as, as in... Um, maybe being spoiled. Yeah, like, sure. I mean, you owe me more. Type of well, yeah, but that's that's just the sinful, this evidence of the sinful nature of the human condition is we think God owes us anything. Yeah, we're entitled for no reason whatsoever. Sure. Yeah, that's that's the epitome of sinfulness. I mean, the only thing we have deserved from God is death. You just walked through a <laughs> sea of water. <laughs> Yeah, there's 
a significant magnitude that's being overlooked there. Yeah, and I we could say the same thing about our own birth, right? I mean, we, we could say the same thing about what we see with our eyes, and, and we, we so often will attribute it to the ingenious of men, we'll attribute it to science, we'll attribute anything but God. Anything but God. And that, that's just more evidence of the sinful condition. And I emphasize this because of where we're going uh, in chapter 20, eventually, is the space between the Red Sea and the giving of the Ten Commandments uh, was not a good display of faithfulness on Israel's part. There were lots of problems. Um, that the, Witnessing these miracles, as we talked about so much when we were going through the Gospel of John, witnessing the miraculous didn't all of a sudden make them super believers. Right? We are broken through and through. So when we get to Exodus chapter 20, I think this is important to keep in mind because people will often think that the Ten Commandments were given in order that if people were going to be saved, they had to follow these rules exactly. And if you broke them, then you're not saved. Well, <laughs> they've already broken them like 10,000 times before God even gives them. Right. Yep. So it would be absolutely insane at this point, if you're reading this story, to conclude that, oh, God gave the Ten Commandments because uh, if we're going to be saved, we have to be good enough. We have to follow these rules. Well, no, what are you talking about? They've, they've just spent their whole new life being free, grumbling against God, sinning against God. So there's got to be another reason. <laughs> why God is giving these Ten Commandments. And as you look into those Ten Commandments, which, by the way, direct translation from commandment in the Hebrew is the Ten Words or the Ten Statements. God spoke all these words. You see that in, in verse 1, if you're reading the ESV translation, saying, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. So the very first commandment of the Ten Commandments isn't just, you shall have no other gods before me. That's not the first word. That's not the first statement. That's the second half of it. The first half of the statement is, I am the Lord your God. So if you're going to conclude somehow that these Ten Commandments were given for us to follow in order to make sure he's our God, well, then you haven't read the first one of the commandments at all. These commandments weren't given for our obedience to them in order to merit God's salvation. No, he says, I've already saved you. I've brought you out of Egypt. That's the first thing you should remember. That's the first commandment. Remember what I have done for you. See, this is a big mess. Jason, you were just talking about this. You're going to end up spending 40 years in the wilderness because you keep thinking about you when the first thing you should think about is what I have already completed for you. And this is really how God intended it from the beginning, right? After God made everything, after he made man and woman, what did he do? He rested. He rested. The first thing he told Adam and Eve to do after he made everything perfect was relax. I first want you to rest in what I've done for you. And you're going to get that in the third commandment. When God says, remember the Sabbath and keep it holy. A command to keep that day of rest that God instituted in the beginning of the creation holy. To always remember 
what's been done for you before you try and do anything for God. And this is, I emphasize this because this is where our Christianity gets so backwards so many times today and it's preaching. And no, you can't be good enough for God. The only way you can do anything good is by first confessing that and thanking him that he's done it all for you. And when you get those things backwards, then you end up grumbling in the wilderness. Mm -hmm. Then you end up like Moses swinging a stick at a rock instead of speaking to it like God said and and making a bigger mess. Well, and at that point, your Christianity becomes about you and what you do. Yeah, and, and know, especially in America, we've turned, we, we've added a, a, an 11th commandment and called it faith. Right. That you have to perform the work of believing. Right. You have to believe enough in order to be saved. That's no different than saying uh, you have to never lust, never hate, never covet. And Jesus would say, well, if you've ever lusted, hated, or coveted, then you've already committed adultery, murdered, and stealed. Yep. Stolen. And we're all guilty of that. We've, we have to get this right in our thinking as Christians if we're truly going to see the joy of the gospel. Right, the freedom. The freedom. And, mm -hmm. and um, Watchman Nee, that wonderful Chinese theologian who wrote the book Sit, Walk, Stand, he gets it right on the money. The order of the Christian life is to sit, do nothing. Remember that he's God, that he's already delivered you. His son has died and risen just like he promised. It's finished. Then you can walk. Then you'll stand in glory. We like to say, no, you have to walk. You have to earn the right to sit. That reminds me this past week I was... Uh, I went down to the Luminarium with uh, my neighbor and his, his uh, kids, and God and Jesus came up, and he asked me, he said, well, Chip, when were you saved? And what, what he really was asking is, when did you ask Jesus into your heart? Yeah. And my answer to him was, well, 2,000 years ago when Jesus died on the cross, that's when I was saved. Yeah. And the difference is I place, you know, through that, that confession, I'm saying, no, it, it, God did it for me before I was even born. Right. Whereas he was wondering, well, when did you choose right. God? Yeah. And so that's... It's ingrained into our thinking in Western Christianity, and, and people's reaction automatically is to, to kick against it, because many of you listening to this show have been told that you have to give your life to Jesus. You have to come up to the altar. You have to believe. You have to, to make Jesus your Lord and Savior. And that's just not a biblical teaching. I encourage you to read the book. Here it is in the Ten Commandments. No, we're saved only because he has chosen us. He paid for your sins before you were born. What, what do you, you don't have anything to do with it other than remembering what he's done for you and stop trying to do it for him. That's, that's what these whole Ten Commandments are about. The Ten Commandments were given to show you your brokenness because Israel clearly wasn't seeing it. They weren't given for us to be more holy or for them to believe enough. They walked through the Red Sea, as Jason said. They don't have faith by themselves, and neither do we. Faith itself is a gift given through the Word, and the Word shows us two things. You have failed. You can't do this, but I have come. I've, I've given you forgiveness. I've given you salvation. I've even given you faith through my Word. 
We pray our time together in God's Word has been a blessing to you and to your faith in Jesus Christ, who is our Lord and Savior of the world. If you enjoy listening to our program, we would love to hear from you. Go to eternalconnectionradio.com. To find our full episode archive, contact us, let us know you enjoy the show, or ask a question that Pastor Jay will answer on the air. God bless all of you. We look forward to connecting with you again next Sunday on The Eternal Connection.